Good morning, and welcome, welcome to the Common Reason Bible Study. My name is Russell Atkins. I'm filling in for Tim today, who is um, somewhere else. <clears throat> no idea where he is, but we wish him well. Uh, I believe he'll be back next week. Um, what a great day! It's a beautiful spring day. I want to, uh, on a personal note, I want to welcome Eve and Sam back. They have uh, returned to uh, to uh, join our study. She has started a, a Bible study at the uh, Connect Sabbath School, and, and we wish them well in their endeavors, and we welcome them back. Let's, uh, let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for a beautiful spring day that you've given us and the promise of renewal and regeneration. Um, we want to we want to apply those metaphors to our characters and our hearts and minds. Please guide us today as we um, investigate uh, the Christ's Sermon on the Mount and uh, how we, how it applied to uh, his audience and how it can apply to us today. Be with those of our group who are not with us and bring them safely back in the weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, Amen. We are studying lesson number four in the quarterly uh, entitled "Christ." And the law in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, someone read the memory text, the Sabbath lesson, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. It's from uh, Matthew five seventeen and eighteen. Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away. One jot or one tittle will by no means pass until all is fulfilled. Okay, thoughts? What's Christ trying to tell us here? Or what is he telling us here? The law was not nailed to the cross. A lot of people law doesn't apply anymore. All right. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, which law was not nailed to the cross? The character of God never changes, so the law of love still remains. Right. Wendell? Well, I'm going to go back to this law or the prophets. Um, I think he's talking about the whole thing. The whole plan of salvation. Not a bit of it is going to go away until all is fulfilled. And the, the demonstration of his love and his law of love is, is the foundation for that. Colossians 2.14 refers to it as the handwriting of ordinances. I think that's what, it's, that's what was nailed to the cross was the handwriting of ordinances that were placed you know, on the side of the ark where it's the commandments, the Ten Commandments. It was inside the ark. The handwriting of ordinances, according to Deuteronomy, were placed on the side of the ark, the ceremonial laws. All right. Um is is what what else is Christ trying to tell? What is he telling us about uh, God's law? This has been a, this has been a consistent theme <clears throat> here in this class for the past you know a year and a half or so. What's what's the nature of God's law? It's the foundation. It's natural. It's natural law. Thank you. He's telling us that God's law has not been imposed. It can't be changed because it's the way that life was designed to operate. And even the Ten Commandments were summarized as love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. 
I mean, love being the basis of even the Ten Commandments, you know. Thank you. You're, you're, you're in my notes. The love part will never end. We still need to love God through eternity with all of our heart and our neighbor as ourselves. Right. Matthew 22, 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, imagine that, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor and yourself. On all these two commandments, get your minds around this, folks. On all these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. <clears throat> Every prophet, Jeremiah, Obadiah, Micah, Malachi, Isaiah, Nahum, you name them. They're trying to tell, they're trying to tell the people, the children of Israel and the readers of scripture today, the two great commandments. Love for God, love for one another. Okay? Go back and reread some of these some of these passages that um, <clears throat> we were presented in school and church years ago uh, that may or may or may not have scarred us well, through that filter. It, it makes a big difference on how, how things get viewed. And Jesus, in his last prayer, you know, just before he was about to be crucified, is that I command you to love one another. I mean, that was his final command was still about love. Right. And is he is he ordering us to do it as imposing this law of love on us, or is he telling is he telling his his listeners, <laughs> the folks, this is the path of life. This is the this is eternal life that you know God, the only true God, and Him who Him who He has sent. Um, <clears throat> what do, what do you think about? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. What do you think about? You know, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Does that mean that God's law is going to change once um, once we're in heaven? It's in, uh, until all is fulfilled, so that until we all get it, one way or the other, until each one has the, the opportunity to make their choice, uh, and then God never changes. It's our realization of truth and uh, being able to make an informed choice. Steve? Um, I think it's also meaning that the written law is no longer needed after after all is fulfilled because it's in our hearts. So we don't need a paper or a Bible or any of that stuff because his law is in our hearts. Um, and for everyone who is alive at that point, that's where it is. Good. I yes. think she's right. I think they're both right because... A few weeks ago, we talked about the angels in heaven before the fall. They didn't, they didn't even know there was a law. Yeah, it came to them as a surprise that, uh, that Lucifer presented the fact that God had a law. Right. Uh, White passage, which I, it's the uh, possible amount of blessing. I can't remember the page. Just being the curious uh, sort that I am, I looked up jot or tittle, um, the definitions thereof, and just FYI, a jot is the name of the least letter of an alphabet or the smallest part of a piece of writing. Uh, the Anglicanized version of the Greek iota is the smallest letter of the Greek alphabet, which corresponds to the Roman I. I'd always, I'd always thought that the jot was the dot above the I. Apparently I was mistaken. What else is new? This, in turn, was derived from the Hebrew word jod, J-O-D, or yoder, Y-O-D-R. 
which is the smallest letter of the square Hebrew alphabet. Apart from a apart from its specialist typographical meaning, we see the word jot more generally mean to mean a tiny amount. Hence, we have if we have to take a brief note, we say we'll jot it down. A tittle, rather appropriately, rather appropriately for a word which sounds like a combination of tiny and little, is smaller still. It refers to a small stroke or point in writing or printing. In the classical Latin, it's applied to any accent over a letter, but is now more commonly named for the dot over the I. So that's what a tittle is, not a jot. Uh, it is also the name of the dots on dice. Who knew? In medieval calligraphy, the tittle was written quite large relatively to the stem of the eye. Since fixed typeface printing was introduced in the 15th century, tittle has been rendered smaller. Uh, and uh, I've included a picture for the notes. Um, in Sunday's lesson, uh, you know, it is titled One Jot or Tittle. Um, and I've, I've kind of, uh, we, we already touched on this, but um, let's, let's, let's flesh this out a little further. In Sabbath's memory lesson, what, what do you think it means to till all is fulfilled? What, what, what's our end point? Well, Paul talks about the law being our custodian to get us to school. And um, once we get to school, we don't need it. Once it's in our hearts, once it's part of our DNA, our psychic DNA, mm-hmm. we don't need to have it written on the, on the wall so we can keep reading it every day. Okay. Good. Uh, any other thoughts? You know, we, we've often we've referred to the law in here as the, the diagnostic instrument, the the um, the MRI of the soul, where we can we can look at the law and see defects in our characters, and um, you know, hopefully pray David's prayer: "Search me and seek me and find the wicked way in me and create in me a clean heart." Oh God. Um, <clears throat> I, when I when I was reading over this, I thought, hmm, could, couldn't we say uh, not one breath will pass from the law of respiration till breathing is no longer necessary for life? I mean, does that does that dovetail, or am I off base? So, what's the difference between God's uh, Jesus saying, "I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it," and nothing will change until all is fulfilled? I think therein people make a mistake because they think that Christ's coming fulfilled it all. And I think Christ is saying it's the total fulfillment is actually beyond this point in time. Okay, well, okay. there's some that argue that it was fulfilled when God killed his son on, on the cross. Okay, is that an accurate definition of fulfillment based on our understanding? We had to keep the law after that. I mean, yeah, certainly the law of love uh, is still is still binding. I just, um, I was kind of curious when I was reading that, and the words used for fulfill there are two different words, um, which the lesson doesn't point out, mm. um, which is why I looked it up. <laughs> Good. Um, Share, please. The first one, as they said, means literally to just fill up or to complete, but the mm-hmm. first one means to become or to come to pass. So it's an actual... You know, kind of a later process. Future event. Future event. Um, and, you know, I, it made me think what I said earlier, that that his law, his his natural law, that never changes, but the need for the written law, that will change. 
because we won't need it once everything is truly completed and finished. Right. And has come to pass. <clears throat> well, it, yes. Part of the fulfillment also is back in the thousand years. So uh, getting to uh, the great city and then Satan has his time and then a thousand years have passed so that everyone is getting full clarity on the rest of the story and being able to be settled at peace. Truly everything was done that could be done. And so then that final battle and the letting go and being able to have sin totally washed away with a full awareness of the universe that we don't want to go there ever again. Mm-hmm. Ever again. That, in my mind, is the full passing away. And then there's the cleansing, and then there's the deep breath and moving forward for eternity. So could we say until all is resolved would be the future thing, until this whole incident is resolved and decided on? Until the whole controversy over God's character is resolved? Okay. Well, the will, will we need the Ten Commandments in heaven? I was just going to remark about that. It says, "From one new moon to the other, and from one Sabbath to the other, shall we come together to worship?" saith the Lord. I feel like even the laws of the commandments will govern the laws of heaven, also. Okay. We touched on this a few weeks ago, and I've got this in. Uh, yeah, one of the other day's lessons. Well, what do healthy people do? They don't kill each other. <laughs> you know, they don't covet what everyone else has. They don't take. They don't steal. They don't dishonor. They don't uh, disobey God. What He wants them to do, they want to do. That would be a Sabbathy thing. You, you would love God with all your heart. Why wouldn't the Ten Commandments still follow us? Because they're based on love. Okay. Uh, from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 364. I've got this in Wednesday's lesson, but we'll jump to it now. <clears throat> touched on this a couple weeks ago when I started the quarter. Um, if man had kept the law of God, which law? Love. Law of God, God's law of love, the design template on which uh, life on earth and, and I believe in the rest of the universe are created to operate. If man had kept the law of God as given to Adam after his fall... Preserved by Noah and observed by Abraham, there would have been no necessity for the ordinance of circumcision. Okay? It, the, that intervention wouldn't have been necessary if man had kept in, in mind and heart the law of God is, is, is given you know, down through the generations from Adam. And if the descendants of Abraham had kept the covenant of which circumcision was a sign, they would have never been seduced into idolatry, nor would they have been necessary nor would it would have been necessary for them to suffer a life of bondage in Egypt. They would have kept God's law in mind, and there would have been no, and there would have been no necessity for it to be proclaimed from Sinai or engraved in tablets of stone. All right. So, back to my question: Why were the Ten Commandments given? Because the people needed more detail to know what this law of love looks like in living form. So the ultimate law is the law of love. All the rest of the details are just because the people, us, everyone, uh, seem to need what does that look like. Right. It was an intervention in time, a specific time with a, with a specific set of people whose minds were so darkened 
that they needed something carved in stone that says, Thou shalt not murder. Why do we need to take off our shoes when we're flying? You know, the principle behind that is safety. And one person puts a bomb in their shoe, and now we oh. have to follow the rule of safety to, to take our shoes off before we go in the plane. It's a, it's a, it's a really tiny way of maintaining the basic rule of safety among each other and kindness to each other, love for each other, that you wouldn't kill everybody on the plane with right. a bomb in your shoe. But the prophets are kind of like that. They're a little more the, the fine points of what it means to love each other. Right, and again, continuing in this passage in Patriarchs and Prophets, and had the people practiced the principles of the Ten Commandments, there would have been no need of additional directions given to Moses. So the Mosaic law of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, strife for a stripe, life for life, which we'll touch on in Thursday's lesson, this was given because the Ten Commandments were given, and three weeks later the people were having an orgy around a gold calf. But isn't it interesting in that passage, I mean, I don't recall ever being taught that the law was given to Adam. Yeah. Noah had the law, or Abraham had the law. The law was given to Moses. Right. You know what I mean? In, in my practical memory. But that's, that's not what she's saying. Well, what she's saying, that the law is simply a, a revelation of the knowledge of God. Exactly. So if, if, if man had kept the law of God, given to, as given to Adam and passed down through the generations, none of this would have been necessary. Also, if they kept the law in their hearts instead, they would have gone from Egypt to Canaan in what was it, uh, days or weeks, instead of because of their need for retooling and reschooling, wandering around for 40 years. Mm-hmm. So it was a consequence they brought on by their choice. Right. Exactly, yes. Is there any argument in the fact that they were in slavery for 400 years, learned somewhat the ways of the Egyptians, you know, and their practices and all that, and God brought them out, said, remember the Sabbath day, and then... Yeah, good point. I mean, think about 400 years. Think about what's happened in the last 400 years. Think about the advances that have been made in society since um, the 1600s, you know, the late 1600s. We just passed the 400th anniversary of uh, the printing press back in 2011. Now, that's what that's what started the the you know the hmm, print well. We could probably print the Bible. 400 years. 1600. I mean, that's, that's a long time. Think about a group of people being in Egypt, then being seduced into idolatry, then being enslaved by the people that, um, that seduced them into idolatry. I mean, I think they were actually in slavery for 200 some years. They were in Egypt for uh, 400. <clears throat> and you're, you're bearing children every 20, 25 years. Uh, there, there's a new generation come along. And then people are born, they work, they work their tails off. You know, the lifespan may be, what, 30, 40 years at best? And it's just 400 years of this. Think about how dark and, and, and you know, Tim has touched on this. What differentiated right and wrong with these people was whether or not you got beat. 
Okay? If your if your if your slave master didn't beat you, you did things right. Yep. If he beat you, then oh, must have done something wrong. Can't do that again. And we go through what two hundred generations of that. And think how darkened uh, the minds would be. And, and think about how backward the thought process is and how um, <clears throat> how how scarred their characters uh, would be uh, at the end of that. And then. Because of that, what's the, how did the Ten Commandments first begin? I am the Lord thy God. I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Okay, God is trying to trying to reveal something. He's trying to reveal His character. Okay, the 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 calf you will eventually make didn't bring you out of Egypt. Moses didn't bring you out of Egypt. The children of Israel attributed their troubles to Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt? They would complain numerous times. You know, why did you bring us out of Egypt? It would have been better to die in Egypt. We had meat to eat in Egypt. Why have you brought us out here to the desert? You know, the, that's, this is why the Ten Commandments start with, I am the Lord God who brought you up out of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Yes, sir. I think it's largely what you said, but it's also the fact that some of the Egyptians actually came out with him. You read so they still had that influence from some Egyptians, even at the Red Sea. But yeah, they did. No, no question. The, the mixed multitude uh, and uh, you know inspired writing uh, tells us that they were the source of you know much of the uh, dissension. This makes me wonder about God's patience with them and us all. Like the Apostle Paul said, the things that he did before he did in ignorance when he was rounding up Christians, mm-hmm. you know, putting them in jail and, and killing some of them. Right. You know. God just wink on their ignorance or their time in slavery and try to retrain them like some of them shared. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, you, in God's forbearance, he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. You know, un, 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 yes. You, God is not exclusionary. He, Correct. He was very willing to, to let all who wanted to come, come. Correct. He's not a racist. He's not a bigot. He's not a, a, he's not a misogynist, sexist. Uh, he's, yeah, we're all equal. But is it any different now? I mean, we are still a mixed multitude, and we are about to leave Egypt, so to speak, mm-hmm. the promised land. So in some ways, what he gave the people back then may still apply to us now in preparation for leaving Egypt and going to the promised land. Okay, well, this brings the good. Thank you. This brings me back to, to my the point. We got a little sidetracked. I asked, well, the Ten Commandments, will we need the, need the Ten Commandments in heaven? Will the Ten Commandments still be binding in heaven? Will the principles behind the Ten Commandments still be binding? Yes. We won't need anything carved in stone to tell us to honor our mother and father, to tell us not to commit adultery, to tell us not to uh, go to our neighbor's driveway and and, uh, uh, jackhammer the gold out of his driveway and bring it to ours. We won't need any of that. But the principles behind the Ten Commandments will still be binding because they are the principles of life, the principles of God's natural law. They will be bound in our hearts. They will be written on our hearts and minds. I like it that... And we won't need them, but they'll still be there. I like it that the analogy is once you go into the hospital, you're sick as a dog. When you leave, you won't be coughing. You won't have a fever. You won't be spitting up blood. You won't be, you know sweating and whatever you can make a whole list of what you won't be mm-hmm. you will be healed 
Right. You know, the Ten Commandments is written, thou shalt not, not, not. But what you could say is you will love, you will honor, you will, you know. Yeah, after, after, after you've allowed me in your heart and after you've allowed me to remove the heart of stone and replace it with the heart of flesh, this is what life will look like. This is what your character will look like. But the great part is because it's not because it's dictated, but because that is what you finally realize and get and choose. Correct. And so it's, it's uh, again, that personal choice uh, that God honored, that law of liberty. Right. Wendell, you had a comment? Well, the Ten Commandments are, you will not. You will not steal. You will not bear fault witness. Mm-hmm. You will not kill. You know, it's a description. It's not a proscription. Correct. Yeah, I think Tim likes to refer to it as, you know, the Ten Promises. Don't you think that a reason a lot of folks in the country want to say the Ten Commandments were nailed to the cross and all of that is that your concept of seeing those as imposed Sure, absolutely. And that's the reason we want to get rid of imposed laws. Right. We are so wrapped up in an imposed law mindset because we we function in societies that impose laws. Okay? City of Collegedale imposes arbitrary, irrational speed limits on on those who travel through uh, on these streets. That bail's up. <laughs> and, and shift change in McKee and, and when school gets out. These These are the... These are the times when those imposed laws are, are often enforced. Um, they got to make their money somehow. <laughs> yeah, well, we aren't going to get into why they impose the laws, but they do. And, and we, we function in societies of imposed laws. It, it becomes almost second nature to think that, well, all laws are imposed. But, I mean, you can impose, you can impose a speed limit, on a on a vehicle, but that doesn't that doesn't alter the laws of momentum, the laws of physics. The force equals mass times acceleration. And that's an issue with the Sabbath. Exactly. The, Same issue. Seeing it as, as an imposed thing rather than the gift that it is. And and if, if College Dale can impose a thirty five miles an hour speed limit out here, they can get together with their government and change it whenever they want. And you can, if you believe God's law is imposed, then you can, you can change one day from another. You can split another commandment into two. You can, you can, um, you can declare homosexual marriage legal, but you can't make it uh, compatible with life. You can't make it holy. God's law is holy, and He can't change His law. He set it up. From the very beginning, the law of love, and it can't be changed. He doesn't change. The adversary came in and said that he was a liar, but he doesn't change. He doesn't change, and, and I want I want to make clear that uh, you know that there have been there are several passages in, in Ellen White, and, and this this is something that we need to get in our head that we don't we don't want to get fall into the trap of thinking that God is is constrained by his laws, or more specifically, he's constrained by our understanding of his laws. Because I, I think it's, it's clear that God operates consistently in harmony with his laws. However, when Christ walked on water, was he violating the laws of physics as we know it? As we know it. As we know it. Okay? 
our understanding of science and uh, surface tension uh, have not extended, have not grown beyond uh, up to that understanding of how Christ walked on water. Okay, there, yeah, exactly, and Peter, and there are those who would suggest that that's Christ using his his divine power just because he didn't want to swim. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You know, I'll just I'll walk to the boat instead of swim. It'll be quicker. Well, he did a lot of things you can't do. He healed. He did other things. He's also got control and access to polydimensional space that we don't have. Correct. And but lest we get lest we fall into the trap of thinking that he operates outside of um, he's not constrained by his laws, but he and yet he operates within in harmony of those laws, laws that we may not know or understand. But how much of that is not that he was the special favor son, therefore God was fav- showed favoritism to him. How much of it was that he understood and was in tune with mm-hmm. God, Heavenly Father, and you, you, and I say used and uses uh, the ter- the term used is sometimes just negatively, and this is positively. He was able to maximize that connection and God's power to be able to demonstrate that. Uh, the uh, When he said, peace be still in the storm, uh, it struck me in the, in the writings of he did not do this as God. He did this as man. He had no more power than what we have available to us each day. Mm-hmm. But we're not tuned in and tapped into it. Sure. So... Yeah. And, you know, getting back to your husband's comments of him healing people... I think it's consistent that he he healed people in harmony with the laws of health because he designed the human body and and its systems and its function. Okay, modern day physicians heal people in harmony with the laws of health. We just don't do it as fast. I find it interesting that the only. The only one of the commandments that people really want to have nailed to the cross is the fourth one. Yeah. <laughs> no one ever else thinks, oh, yeah, we should be running around killing each other, blah, blah, blah. They only kind of zero in on that's the one we think ought to go. Because they see it as arbitrary. Correct. Because we view it, like, thank you, that's right. Because we think it was an arbitrary God imposed an arbitrary test of obedience, and he imposed that on humanity, therefore... Um, Jesus Christ on earth, uh, a.k.a. the papacy, can get together a church committee and decide, yeah, we're going to change it because I'm, I'm Christ's representative on earth. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, when that, and that was, that was Satan's great deception, that the idea, the, the inculcating into human minds that God's law is imposed and not natural. Which implies punishment. Correct. When you violate imposed laws, when you violate the speed limit out here and you get caught, you end up sitting in the seats you're in. <laughs> and there's, you know, Kevin Wilson up there who's going who's gonna to decide your fate. He'll either be a most merciful judge or he'll impose a fine and a penalty. Let's move on to uh, Sunday's lesson. You've touched on this earlier. The lesson makes a nice point that the word useful fulfill is plero, which means literally to fill up or complete. 
Uh, Jesus is the completion of God's law of love. He lived it in its entirety. And because that law is the law of life, he was able to take up his life again at the resurrection. How many of you were ever taught that Christ's resurrection was um, a gift from the Father because it was either for a job well done, my son, or for uh, you know my, my, my righteous indignation has been appeased, here's your life back. Okay, I that that's how I grew up thinking. We are often um, swayed by the songs we sing. Yes, and the um, the theology of the songwriter is often conveyed into our hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. Of what we sing over and over and over again, such as well, you know, "Arise, My Son." Mm. You know, I mean, there's there's certain parts of that song that are wonderful, and other parts lead you down a little path that you may not want to end up at. Right. That's so interesting. Ever since coming to this class, my radar screen on lyrics and music is just, it's astounding how many songs, not necessarily origin in this church, but Christianity, Mm -hmm. have the imposed law concept, have the... Angry, angry, wrathful. Say Christ's wrath or God's wrath was appeased at yep. the cross. Yep. Those are in the lyrics. And yep. It is astonishing. Yes, it is. Listen to the lyrics. You know, I used to think that Christ's resurrection was a, a result of you know God being appeased, the shedding of His Son's blood. But a praise heaven, a better understanding of of the, the natural law and God's law uh, reveals something very different. Um, Earth, Earth is the only place in the universe right now where death is the norm, or the the what humans refer to as death, which Christ, you know the Bible refers to as the sleep. Okay, this is the only planet where where people and, and living things go to sleep. Okay, everywhere else in the universe, life life is the norm. And Christ took Christ said, "I I lay down my life, and I will take it up again." Okay, because he knew that in perfectly revealing the character of God and restoring in his humanity the image of God that was that Adam was made in, hence he became the second Adam, in restoring that image of God, he knew that he was restoring the the design template of life. And he laid his life, he gave his life freelingly, and he took it up again. It was a result of, of living out a life in harmony with God's ways, methods, and principles. Life was the only result. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't hold him. It wasn't, it wasn't a gift uh, from his father for a job well done. From his father for a job well done. I think it was strictly for the saving of sinners that he wanted to see in the kingdom because I believe he pled with God for us. What did he plead? Beg your pardon? What did he plead? Plead that we be saved in the kingdom because uh, well, do, God do, might, might not have been as patient with us. Why not? Christ said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. Uh, this idea that Christ is pleading with his Father to to save humanity or to be forgiving or to be more patient, um, 
I respectfully disagree with. Well, the, see, that's the way I was taught. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I've come to a, a different uh, and better understanding that both God and Christ are pleading with humanity. You know, join us. Join us in life. Come back into harmony with our ways and methods and principles. It's not. That's the way it should be. It's not uh, Christ with his back, you know, with his back to humanity, pleading with the Father, Dad, don't hurt him, please, please. Yeah, Christ, Christ, and, and God are, are both facing humanity. Saying, let us heal you. God needs to be persuaded with their senses. <laughs> right. Exactly. I think a lot of it comes from the fact that some of the Ephesians we've read, we don't fully understand exactly the scope of it because there was a there was a time that Ellen White talked about how Jesus went before the Father and approached that light in that vision. That's why she mm-hmm. referred to it three different times. And there's a gentleman that I work with that's fully convinced that his purpose was to go in and convince the Father that he could come and save man. Okay. It's those types of, you understand? Yeah. That's largely why we grow up thinking something. But we don't know what actually took place in that, that conversation. If you... If you believe the words of Christ, that the, uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, the Father and I are one, then isn't it, isn't it rational to conclude that Christ was trying to convince God not to go himself, that God himself wanted to come to earth to reveal, uh, to reveal his own character and to, to save humanity? And Christ said, Dad, the controversy is with me. Satan has alleged that he's equal with me. Let, let me go instead. I mean, what, what parent wouldn't volunteer to go and do this in place of their child? Okay, maybe Christ was pleading with God, no, no, Lord, let me, let me go, please, I beg you. Three times he, he asked, and, and God allowed it. God sent him. He was his son, and he's just like him. He didn't come to a peace or anything. He's just like God. Correct. The lesson references... Um, While you're looking, let me just... Yeah, please. I think that one of the things that people look at from Mrs. White's writings is when she talks about Jesus pleading with the Father, my blood, my blood. Mm-hmm. And as if he is saying, don't kill him now, you know, look, look at what I did. That's where that kind of emanates from. He's pleading with the Father. Both of them are pleading. Yes. Uh, but this is Christ speaking. Whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men to do so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I think this is Matthew five nineteen through 20, 19 and 20. What um, <clears throat> what do you think God? What do you think Christ means by the least of the commandments? Is, is there a least of com- least of commandments? I think he means that the least uh, significance of what you believe to be the right direction written within the law, or, or the least the least indication of what you can understand to be right within the law. If you break that, in other words, the details are important, but also the, the, 
the symbol and the significance of anything that's written in the law remains. Well, back to um, back to our earlier statement, uh, well, Christ's earlier statement. Uh, you know, when asked what the greatest commandment is, he only gave two. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and, and spirit. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, was he trying to reach a, a people with a perhaps a different mindset? What if um, he was talking about the progression? Because talking about what? The progression, um, the damage that it does to us. Mm-hmm. Um, because, as he brought out later, murder doesn't start with actually killing someone. It starts in the heart. Right. And that would be the least, you know, the smallest step on that road. Mm. Um, so, so what if, you know, instead of saying, what if, for example, because of our religion, we teach other people, we teach people within our religion to hate other people, then we have just taught the least thing yeah um, or, that or we teach that moves towards suicide bombers and you know yes. okay to kill them or we teach that god is hate and god is anger and god is uh wrath yeah hmm. yeah that's that's an almost total uh a totally expected portion on practically any show that you see on tv avenge avenge wrong yeah, we'll get into that Thursday's lesson if we make it. Um, <clears throat> we're on Monday's lesson, murder. This is from Desire of Ages, page 310. Jesus takes up the commandments separately and explains the depth and breadth of their requirement. Instead of moving one jot of their force, he shows how far-reaching their principles are and impose, exposes the fatal mistakes of the Jews in their outward show of obedience. He declares that by the evil thought or lustful look, the law of, of God is transgressed. And he also shows that God's law is a natural law in doing this. One who becomes a party to the least injustice is breaking the law and degrading his own moral nature. Murder first exists in the mind. He who gives hatred a place in his heart is setting his feet in the path of the murderer, and his offerings are abhorrent to God. Uh, lesson asks us to read First John 3.15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know the, no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. <clears throat> and in John 17, 3, what does God tell us that eternal life is? Knowing God. Knowing God. So, we can conclude that whoever hates his brother does not know God, does not know the real God. Right? The lesson asks, what's the real issue here that Jesus is pointing to, and what does it tell us about the real reach of God's law? The real issue is it's a heart thing. It's in your mind. It's, your, it's in your DNA. Oh, yeah, it often is. And it's part of how things work. Mm-hmm. A lot of these are just examples of the opposite of love, what is not love. Correct. Well, it's interesting that real reach of God's law is beyond imposition. Mm-hmm. That's correct. It does not have to be caught, and a punishment does not have to be imposed. It is natural, and the consequences are sure. Right. Regardless. I mean, do any of us here need a sign on the wall saying, Thou shalt not murder? Someday. 
<laughs> Thank you for your candor. <laughs> the difference between murder and justifiable. I need, I need, I need one. I need one on my steering wheel that says that. <laughs> but not in here. You guys are all safe <laughs> for now. Forty. Who are you going to give authority in your life? And in, in your to what are you going to give authority in your conduct or your life? Is it is it to the principles of God that we stress so much here? Or is it to some arbitrary thing that you can say, hey, you know, I've had enough and my arbitrary thing prevails this time. You know. the like, bottom. like the thief on the cross. We look at him and we say, well, how could he be promised he'd be in heaven? He was a thief right up to that very moment. And then and Jesus says, you'll be in heaven with me. Well, you know, he, he turned the corner. He said, basically, I give you authority. I, I trust you. I, I want to follow you. And in that, his whole, his whole, uh, yeah, his whole paradigm has shifted. His whole, uh, path has shifted, even though his life is very short thereafter, he gives indication that his life would have been uh, in that direction. Yeah, I think it's clear that um, the Holy Spirit had been striving with both of the thieves on the cross. And one finally got it. One finally surrendered self and realized that, you know, this guy in between us has done nothing wrong. He's dying with us, uh, you know. I, I submit. I submit my will. Uh, I know I will no longer look out for self, even though it was only a few more hours he had to look out for self. Now we've touched on this before, but this is this is this is critically important um, to to remember that uh, you know, both those thieves had no power in and of themselves to remove themselves from the cross. Christ. But Christ did. The one in the middle did. All power. He had all power. He could have thought it. I mean, <clears throat> how many times have we had thoughts of annoyance or or something? You know, I wish this were through. I wish I wish they would leave. I wish I wish I'd be done with this. We didn't act on it, but we thought it. Okay, Christ didn't even think it in his human brain. He never even thought it. Never thought, yeah, I'm I'm tired of this. Uh, I want my twelve legions of angels. But his photos were so on others that he was saying, "God forgive them." Yeah, they exactly. Know not what they do. Thank you. I also want to point out that that Jesus was saying, "Just obedience is not enough." Um, right. You know, and and we have a really clear picture of what strict obedience. Without a heart change, does that's right. Um, it kills God. That's right. And so, and has him off the cross before Sabbath. Yeah, yeah. And that's why he was saying you have to go deeper than that. It, it it can't be just an external obedience because your heart has to actually change. You have to be back in harmony with me in order to be something other than a whitewashed tomb. Yeah, you have to. You have to. Your righteousness has to be beyond that of the Pharisees. Uh, the bottom section of Monday's lesson, uh, it asks, what does such a high standard tell you about the need to be covered by Christ's righteousness at all times? Keyword is covered. Any thoughts? Yeah, I crossed that word. Yeah, good. Changed. You whited it out? 
You cover you covered it. That doesn't need to be changed by current rates. Thank you. Well, just tell it. We need to be discerning here, folks. When whatever we read, whatever we hear, you guys need to be discerning what you hear from me, okay? Because not everything I say up here is right. I'm afraid. And I wish I could tell you otherwise, but it's not everything I say is right. I'm, I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the same boat you guys are. We're, we're in the path of learning. We're in the path to healing and restoration. But the lesson tells us very clearly what, uh, what the author's lens is. But Russell, for this, we all now see through a glass darkly. Yes. And then we will see face to face. So, glad to have you as part of the family. Thanks. I, I think it's really important, you know, with, with the sort of, if you will, revolutionary ideas that we have and talk about in this class all the time. People need to realize we're not talking about going without authority. We're not going, we're not talking about dumping all organization or all religion or anything like that. We're talking about operating on the right principle of authority. Sure. You know, it goes back, and again, it goes back to your view of authority. Are we, are we uh, under a dictator's umbrella or are we under a designer's umbrella? And that is righteousness, right doing, right being. Because? It's in harmony. Because it's right. That's right. Because it's, because it's the design. Um, you know, this, this uh, dictator versus designer um, construct is, is very important to get our minds wrapped around. The designer of a, an exotic sports car understands how it was built and understands uh, what fuel should be used, what oil should be used, uh, how often the tires should be rotated, et cetera, et cetera. And if, if someone comes along as a dictator and says, yeah, you really only need four quarts of oil in that Ferrari, it's good. And the designer says, yeah, you actually need 10. The car is going to eventually suffer a catastrophic failure. Details, details. Details, yes. Tuesday's lesson, adultery. The source of the adultery issue is the same as the one in the murder issue. It's a problem in the heart. This is what, God, this is what Christ is telling us. The problem of adultery begins in here. The heart of the stone, an unregenerate character, a heart that is enmity with God, and the, the, the metaphors are numerous. Jesus was not only revealing that adultery, murder, theft, adultery, adultery, etc. was heart issue, he later revealed what our position should be in response to seeing them and in others, and more importantly, what God's response to them is. See John 8, uh, 3 through 11. That's, that's the story of the, um, the woman caught in adultery. Okay, the, the Pharisees and scribes brought her and were trying to trap Jesus. And he not only protected her reputation, he protected theirs. And what did he tell her? Neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and live better. The awesome, respectful way that he shared truth with those who actually didn't deserve it when they were setting her up and pulling her out there to be stoned, Mm -hmm. he showed incredible love to them also what yeah you just said. he protected their reputations he, he didn't call them out uh, and say you know you did this that and the other these are your sins <clears throat> those are yours he just let he let 
He let each one's conscience and heart, and he let the Holy Spirit convict them. And they, and they left. And what, I find I found it interesting that they left in order of chronologic age, like from the youngest to the oldest, or was it from the oldest to the youngest? Oldest to youngest. From the oldest to the youngest, they departed. And he probably started with the, the favorite sin of the oldest person. He might have. Also, who he was dealing with. Who was standing closest? The leaders were standing closest. Probably the leaders and the youngest were... To accuse. Yeah. Well, in, in that society, the older people had their respect. They're the ones that you listen to their dictates to. Right. They had the wisdom so of age. you get rid of them, you get rid of the prosecuting effect. Mm-hmm. Well, when we have an imposed law viewpoint, what do we want to do? Criticize the judge. We judge, criticize, and we want to punish those who break the laws. When you have a, a, a natural law position, you understand that we're all in the same boat. We're all sick. And then no one gets away with it. We're the same disease, yeah. And we, our symptoms are manifest in different ways. But, yeah, no, no one gets away with murder. It doesn't happen. The lesson correctly points out that the solution, and this is down, I think, the second or third paragraph. The solution is not to follow through with the sin, but to have a conversion of the heart. That's having the horse before the cart, not the other way around. Uh, this is from Thoughts of the Mount of Blessing, page 61. Uh, and this is um, this is moving on to what Christ is telling folks about um, it's better to pluck your eye out if it offends you or to cut off your arm. The surrender of the will is represented as plucking out the eye or cutting off the hand. Often it seems to us that the surrender of the will to God is to consent to go through life being maimed or crippled. But it is better, says Christ, for self to be maimed, wounded, and crippled, if thus you may enter into life. That which you look upon as a disaster is the is the door to the highest benefit. Russell, it's a bit of a difficult passage. Go ahead. Don't you think we need to look back one more step about adultery? Okay. As we continue to talk about it as something arbitrary, rather than how unhealthy it is and how it separates us, how it hurts everybody involved, and it wounds us, rather than just something we shouldn't do. Sure. And how early it starts. I think that passage is basically saying, nip it in the butt. Because no one really ever goes into a situation thinking, I'm going to commit adultery. Right. They, they start with this little simple thing like, oh, let's, let's have coffee. A look, or oh, you look you nice know. today. Or, yeah, yeah. And, and little extra tensions and so on that right. feel good to the self. And right. it would be much better if we recognize that for what it was and put a... a just lop that right off early on and not invite because then you get more and more tangled to the point where you have more and more difficulty dealing with it. Correct. If, if he had handled the situation with these people in any other way, it would have been as though he were mocking or, or uh, denying natural uh, tendencies and you know, sort of uh, nature, if you will. I mean, he recognized that, you know, he made, he made humanity with sexuality. He made humanity with attraction for each other in that regard. 
So why would he mock that in his rebuke to the people who were bringing this woman to him? Question again of selfish fulfillment versus in the construct of selfless love with that monogamous state. Yeah. I want to get back real quick before uh, we have to wrap things up. Uh, this passage from Thoughts of Mount of Blessing. It's a bit of a difficult passage. Is In reality, is surrendering our will to God really like being maimed or crippled? It's like being healed. Thank you. Aren't we really truly free after we do this? It, it hurts. In our, in our sinful mind, it looks like it. Yes. She didn't say it would be maimed or crippled. It says it will look like you're maimed. It's, it's represented, well, it's, it, often it seems that the surrender is. It yes. seems as if you're going to be right. crippled. We, we often look to the future to know the future, and we don't. Mm-hmm. We don't realize where we'd end up if we truly follow God's will. Right. I mean, we're, we're free, free to violate the laws of health. But is this really freedom? Is the obese, diabetic smoker free? When they're oxygen dependent? Yeah, is the heroin addict free? We're free to violate the law of love, but is this really freedom? Is the child molester free? Is the manipulative spouse free? We're free to violate the laws of worship. But is the rat-worshipping Hindu free? Is the Satanist free? Is the Christian who worships a, a, a God angry enough to kill his own son free? Uh, looks like we've run out of time. Uh, notes uh, will be posted online, uh, et cetera, et cetera. There's some interesting, um, interesting stuff on divorce and uh, Thursday's lesson, Lex Talionis, which is the the um, literally a, an eye for an eye, the eye for an eye law, uh, the the law of retrib- retribution, the law of vengeance. Let's close with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the revelations of your character and the revelations of your law that was given us to us freely by your Son and his coming and, and representing to us your character. Uh, thank you for this opportunity to study and to worship. Thank you for this class, and we ask uh, continued blessings on this class, both co- collectively and individually. Um, Please transform our characters to be like uh, to be like the people who um, are so set into the truth that we cannot be moved, and uh, who do not love our lives so much as to shrink from death, so that we can hasten your coming. In Jesus' name, Amen.